One of the things that has proven somewhat of a surprise to me in these days is that I do not cry when I think directly about my father and his death. I have found that the times I have cried is in sitting in front of my computer reading emails from people like you. That's a surprise to me, that it isn't my father's direct impact on me or direct loss from me, but his indirect approach to me through you that moves me most deeply. Don't know why that is. I have to be careful who I look at, for example, uh, when I'm praying. And uh, the only reason I mention this is to make sure that you understand that my list of gratitude that I'm about to give is more than formality. The appreciation that I feel for about 11 groups of people uh, needs to be spoken because God has come to me uh, by means of my father's life and death through these people. And so let me begin by simply saying thank you to some people. Now, I know the parts of these minutes that I have that are going to be emotionally difficult. I know exactly where they're going to come, and uh, I've prepared myself to the degree that I can to manage them. And so don't worry, we won't lose control here and have to sit down and <laughs> somebody else come up here. Uh, we just know where it's going to come, and we'll just take our time and work our way through it, okay? So here, here are my deep, deep, deep expressions, feelings of gratitude. At the top of the list uh, is my sister. And this will be one of those moments. <laughs> because uh, Beverly, Bob, Bruschetta, the platform, Brandy, Steve, um, you enabled him for these years to, to be dignified. When you're losing your mind, people can start to treat you like a baby, ignore you, let you get dirty, and you just let him be who he was to the end. You've got the right middle name. And she would have been so proud. You would have done just what she wanted you to do. That's number one, the, the Bowers clan with Beverly at the lead. Thank you all. Number two, John and Marilyn Vandenecker. You just don't know what it meant that he had somebody to pick it up. He knew he couldn't keep it up, but he needed somebody to run Ragma. He, God just gave him Ragma and... and uh, he didn't know what to do with it. And along came John and Marilyn and, and all of you board members and those who've cared about Ragma. Thank you very, very much. May the Lord do with it what he pleases. It's in your hand and you will make that call. Number three, Brent Armstrong. Brother, he could not have asked for a more faithful pastor. He couldn't. I mean that. To be there for him across the miles and Year in and year out since that move to 
since the attendance there in Anderson. So thank you, and thank you all from Oakwood. I know there are many of you here, and I deeply appreciate you. Number four, my cousins, Sharon, Larry, Nancy, Fred, Paul, Linda, Pam, John, kids, um, especially in relationship to Elmer. My dad and his brother had what was an extraordinary relationship. And there was no relationship between brothers I've ever quite seen. And uh, you followed through with that in a most remarkable way. So thank you all so much. And Sharon for singing. It was so good. Now that Elmer and Bill are gone, Paul, I guess it's you and me to be the patriarchs and the others the matriarchs. Number five, I don't know if there are any representatives from Shepherd Care here, but thank you for giving him a place to live his last two years. He, he liked the place. He turned it into a sanctuary where the memories of gospel triumphs were reenacted down to the detail. Number six, thank you, Bill Logan, Dr. Bill Logan and the staff at Greenville Memorial Hospital who made his last seven or eight days dignified and free from pain and enabled us to be there with him all the time. Number seven, thank you, Bill Phillips. Couldn't have done it without you. I didn't know where to turn. I just knew I wanted it here. The last time I stood in this pulpit was when my mother was under that pall in 1974 and uh, just thought this would be the place. It's right near Woodlawn and, and uh, a lot of water has passed under the bridge since I sat about six pews back in 1964 singing a hymn, 18 years old, early in the year, and God came down and made crystal clear to me where I should go to college and much of my future. This room holds some significant memories, and thank you for working it out with all the powers that be to make everything happen, including the video there with Cliff. That was so good. Thank you. Number eight, all of you for coming. It means a lot to me. I see folks that had no idea would be here from out of town. Just I'm, I'm just glancing on different ones. Whoa, where... I didn't know you were coming, kind of. So thank you so much. Uh, God has been so good. Thank you, Bud. I said it the other night, but I want you and your kids to know how he loved Levon. I did that wedding. I was glad to do it. It was a year after Mother died. I didn't resent that in the least. Daddy knew what he wanted, knew what he needed, and he got it. And and I was, a th I was thrilled, Bud, that... Uh, she was good for him, for his thrill. Thank you. Um, number, what I've lost count, but doesn't matter. Bethlehem, my church, thank you so much for sending Sam's back there. And David is here. If there are others uh, from Bethlehem, <laughs> I've missed you. Sorry, but I'll see you. What a great church to be a part of. It is, it is an amazing thing when the sheep shepherd the shepherd well which they do after you've been in a church for 27 years and you love each other. Um, thank you, Karsten and Shelley and Millie and Francis and Abel and Ben and Melissa and Lulia and Abraham and Molly 
and Barnabas and Leslie and Grace for coming. And thank you to Oscar and Orison for letting them come. And uh, what a sweet thing to have my children and their family here. Talitha is with us, and uh, that's almost a given. She just goes where we go. The others have to make a special effort. Thank you so much, Talitha, for standing by your mom and me in these days. I said to Noel this morning, what have I left out? And, and uh, she mentioned several. I said, I'm not sure I can mention everybody. Thank you so much for the Desiring God Church helping us get here, Cody and the gang in Charlotte. And thank you so much for everything. So we love you all. Above all, thank you, Jesus, my Father's God and my God. He came last, not because he's least, but because he's greatest. And my heart goes up in praise to him. Um, George Mueller preached at his wife's funeral in 1870 under the text, God is good and doeth good. And his outline was, He was good to give her to me. He was good to leave her with me so long. And he was good when he took her from me. And I believe that about my father. God was good in giving him to me. You know, don't you, that no child chooses his parent. Any boasting in genetic origin is racist arrogance. And he was good to leave him with us as long as he did. 88 years, 61 years for me. And he was good in the way he took him from us. It could have been so much worse. And it was sweet in many, many ways. When he turned 80, let's say years ago now, you gave him a birthday party, Ragma. And I came down and you let me speak at it. And I spoke his funeral sermon. And therefore, I don't need to now. It's in this booklet. So that's why I produced these with the help of a lot of good people back in Minneapolis. This is that message. So I don't need to preach about my dad. Instead, I'm going to try in these last few minutes to let my dad have the last sermon. So here's what I've done. I have here. Seven of his books, okay? And uh, I read a lot a lot in these. And this one here, just terrible covers, absolutely terrible covers. Um, a Good Time and How to Have It. And number five, page 43, is called Saved, Safe, and Satisfied. That was the name of the sermon. And I want to preach that message. I'm not going to give it verbatim from here. I'm just going to give you a short version, letting his theology, his vision of the Christian life flow through me to you so that you can feel. Now, this isn't about Bill Piper. This is Bill Piper through his son's mouth, giving his last word about saved, safe and satisfied. Saved. One of the marks of his preaching 
was that it was amazingly Bible-saturated and full of doctrine so that he would announce ahead and then he would just spew out Bible verses from memory until you got the impression this is all over the Bible. So in that sermon, we had things like this. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other, Isaiah 45. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved, Jeremiah 8. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they might not believe and be saved, Luke 8. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, John 3. The Lord added to their number daily as many as who were being saved, Acts 2.47. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You heard him at all. You know, that's the way he did it. He just he didn't have to read them like I read them. He just said them. And the impact of the word of God brought people to Christ all over the country. The Bible is powerful. We're not powerful. God's word is very powerful. He really believed in the word of God. So the question is, why talk so much about being saved? The world doesn't think it needs to be saved except from global warming or terrorists or Asian bird flu. So what what's the point of, of this saved business? Why talk so much about saved? The world doesn't even know what you mean when you say saved. What's that? Green stamps? They probably have green stamps. Green stamp store was in Greenville when I was here. They have still have green stamps here? No, they're long gone. Nobody knows what I'm talking about except my agent and over. But nobody cares. So why devote your whole life to going around the country trying to get people saved? And here's the way he would have answered that question. There are four horrific and Horrible truths about human beings. Number one, we are corrupt. We're born selfish. We don't just sin. We're sinful. We like it this way. Number two, out of this nature that is so corrupt and depraved, we Mount up a catalog of sins and guilt day after day over against a holy God. And we are guilty for being sinners and doing sin. Number three, because of our depraved nature and our mounting up sins every day, we are under condemnation. God's sentence against us in the courthouse of the universe is guilty, condemned, and fourth, the penalty of that condemnation is everlasting torment in hell, according to Jesus Christ. My father believed in hell. I think it's what gave him such a radical earnestness mingled with that unbelievably cheerful character. It is the 
heaven breaking into this horrific sinful age, which enables a Christian to be the happiest person and the most serious person in the world. I did not like to look at my father's eyes when he preached this. They were so piercing. They were stabbing to have him look into the eyes of a congregation or a group of small, small group of people and warn them about judgment to come was an awful thing. So in answer to the question, why this talk about saved, saved, saved? It's because the Bible has made very clear God has spoken and our true condition is there are these four things we need to be saved from. And then, when the eyes were piercing, there would be this magnificent shift in his countenance to the gospel. And oh, how radiant he could become with the remedy to this fourfold lostness. And you know what they are. They've got big theological names. He loved to use these big theological names. That's why he's on pastors to be doctrinal all the time. Don't shirk regeneration. Don't shirk redemption. Don't shirk predestination. Don't shirk propitiation. Don't shirk expiation. Don't shirk it. Don't dump these words. They are life to us. So the remedy for our corruption is the new birth or the fancy word regeneration. We must be born again. Our nature is going to drag us down if we're not born again. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wills. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. So are all who are born of the spirit of God. Meaning it happens to you. You don't make the new birth happen. God arrives in sovereign grace and power. And suddenly sitting under the preaching of the gospel, you find it compelling Beautiful, attractive, and you don't know why. It's been boring, it's been stupid, it's been far less interesting than all of our toys, and then suddenly it's glorious and necessary and you want to give yourself to it. Something has happened. The new birth has happened. You're drawn up into faith and into Christ. And the remedy for that second one, the mounting up of guilt, sin after sin after sin, even after you're converted, these sins are mounting up. Oh, how he loved Colossians 2. He has forgiven us our trespasses, having canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands having nailed it to the tree. So picture now, this is what he want me to do, picture now the, the infinite pile of your sins, and they're getting higher every day. All written down. It's a record. It says there's a record. Not a record you ever want read. And he folds it up small enough, because he writes in small print, and he puts it in the hand of his son, and he drives a spike through the list and through the hand into the cross. That's the remedy for this pile that's getting bigger and bigger every day. And the remedy to the third condition of our condemnation 
is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? How can that be? Because of justification. Justified by faith. Just as through one man, Adam, many were made sinners, so through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ, many will be appointed righteous. It's a breathtaking gospel. How eloquent, how eloquent he, he would wax when celebrating justification by faith. By faith alone, I'm united to Christ. And when I'm in Christ, his righteousness is counted as my righteousness so that as I stand before the throne of the universe, I have done the whole law perfectly in my Redeemer. What an amazing thought. And the fourth one, namely hell and wrath, The remedy is propitiation by his blood. What does that mean? Takes away God's wrath. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. When I was told by the doctor, I think we better do a biopsy on your prostate gland. December 21, two years ago, been a little over a year. The text that was my stay in that room as I waited for him to go get that little popping gun was God has not appointed you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through your Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you so that whether you wake or sleep, you will live with him. That's a good verse in a hospital room when they're going to get the biopsy instrument. That's a great verse. No wrath. And it isn't because there's no wrath. The worship leaders of my church went to a conference a few weeks ago in Grand Rapids, And they were singing one of these great, new, and good worship songs. I think it was in Christ Alone. Got this great line in it about wrath being born and removed. And they they were standing beside two worship leaders from around the country, and they were singing. And my guys were singing with their lungs bursting because they loved that song. And when they were done, they said, you don't like that song? And they said, no, we don't like that song. We don't believe in a God of wrath. These are worship leaders. And and what a tragedy if you try to solve the wrath problem by redesigning God. Say, well, to solve that problem, we just don't have a God like that who has any wrath at all. There is a biblical solution to the wrath problem, and it isn't to change God's. It's to take the God who loves us as well as is angry at us and he puts his own love in the way, blocks his own wrath, makes us his children. Now, that's worth singing about and worth dying for. And Daddy loved to preach it. So that's enough on why my father would say, saved, saved. 
and safe. The last two are much shorter. What he meant was, when God moves in on a person and saves them in all those ways, he keeps them safe. Keeps them. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's nobody's dropping out between justification and glorification. We call it eternal security. And oh, how badly it is misunderstood and used as a license for worldliness in the churches. It doesn't mean that you can kneel down here when you're six, ask Jesus into your heart, and then live the rest of your life with everything but Jesus being preeminent in your life. That's not salvation. That's hypocrisy. That's easy believism. That's phony. That wasn't real. Because if it were real, you're born again. And if you're born again, you have a new nature. And if you have a new nature, Christ is preeminent. Now, you're not perfect, right? Nobody in this world is perfected. Well, then what's it like? What's it like to be safe and still sin? There's a verse, I'll read it to you, that is the great Pauline statement. And my dad, you're absolutely right, loved Paul. He didn't quite know what to do with the synoptic gospels. He, he had a little bit of a theological problem there. I tried to straighten him out on these things, but he got Paul right. And here's what he would have wanted us to hear from Philippians 3.12. Now, this is the answer to the question, what's it like to be safe, secure, and not coasting in a worldly frame? What's it like? And this is the verse, Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on. To make it my own. Now, if you stopped right there in the verse, it would sound like, well, aren't you sure you're going to make it? It sounds like you're not quite sure you're going to make it. I'm pressing on to make him my own. What, don't you believe he's your own? Don't you believe you're in? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I always do this action right here when I'm doing this. God has reached down. This is Jesus reaching from heaven. And he's just took hold of me like this. So all my reaching like this is secured reaching. He's never going to let me go here. But if I'm not reaching, he hadn't got me. In other words, when he gets you, he changes you. Salvation is thoroughgoing, as imperfect as we remain. You know what happens in the heart 
of a born-again person when they fall into a season of sinning, sooner or later, they hate it and they're miserable by it and they renounce it and they repent and they turn. Now, here's, here's my closing point. I'm moving from safe to satisfied. They turn and resolve. And the big question is, to do what? It makes all the difference in the world how you finish this sentence. And Daddy got it right. And so many get it wrong. So many say, okay, okay, it must then be there's some lists I need to do. There's some works I need to do. There's some measuring up I need to do. There's some impressing of heaven I need to do. There's some earning I need to do. And they revert into the old way of the law. That's not the answer. When Paul said, I press on, he was referring back to verse 7, 8. For his sake, for Christ's sake, I count everything as loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What you press on to be is satisfied. I read my dad's sermons and I say, my, 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 how unoriginal I am. I got everything from my daddy. I thought Christian hedonism was new. I'm glad it's not new. Preachers that want to be new tend to become heretics. I want to be true, not new. And when I read his saved, safe, and satisfied, I'm amazed at how unnew I am. I love to quote C.S. Lewis. I thought C.S. Lewis was fresh. And you remember what he said? Those who live in the world, embracing the world, loving the world, and Jesus is kind of back here in the back pocket, ready to be pulled out as a fire insurance policy last day, are like children playing in the, making mud pies in the slum because they can't imagine what a holiday at the sea is like. My daddy said it like this. This is page 48 in that sermon. I have often seen a cow stick her head through a barbed wire fence to chew the stubbly grass bordering the highway when behind her lay a whole pasture of green grass. So what what are you pressing on? What what is the newborn, saved, persevering, secure person reaching for? We're reaching for satisfaction. Do you get up in the morning and pray Psalm 90, verse 14? Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad in you all the days of my life. You've got to pray that. I pray that every day. 
Satisfy my heart because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O God, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Because otherwise I'm wandering. I'm wandering towards the newest computer program. I'm wandering towards this new gizmo over here. I'm wandering, wandering, and my heart is starting to cleave towards idols. The battle of the Christian life is not a battle to earn anything. It's not a battle to merit anything. It's a battle to be stunned by our Savior. It's a battle to be overwhelmed by how superior in value He is to everything on the planet. That's the battle. What a revolutionary battle it is. And it's got to be fought. The newborn heart fights this battle. It does not settle in with the world. And say, fine, I'll just enjoy what everybody else enjoys. Christ is not very enjoyable to me. He's just there for later. That's not the newborn heart talking. And so it's a great battle. And I know my daddy would want us to all say, would you join me in fighting this battle to the end? So I'm going to let him finish the sermon by just reading the last paragraph of his sermon. And then we'll sing. This is his words. I'll just read them. Just remember, my friend, who Jesus is. He is God. When you fully trust him, you have all that God is and all that God has. You cannot be otherwise than satisfied with the perfect fullness of Christ because he's God. He is all you need and more. There's no corner of your life he cannot fill, no problem he cannot solve, no need he cannot supply. Yes, my friend, in Christ we are saved, safe, and satisfied. He is perfect, a complete Savior. And I must add, He is the only Savior. Trusting Christ spells joy. Failure to trust Him spells judgment. Now is the time to accept Him. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your Amen. I chose this last song that you can turn to now. It's number 406. Because I wanted us to be able to do several things as we close. I wanted us to be able to celebrate the rock-solid word and salvation on which he stood as he lived and died. And I wanted us, you, to have a song that would become your testimony so that if you've been resonating with what I'm saying and that you want to push on in cleaving to Christ and and reassert your heart for him and say, yes, more of Jesus, more satisfaction in Jesus, sever the roots of sin in my life, enamor me with yourself, capture my heart, this song will give you an occasion to say that as you sing. So let's stand together and sing it.